Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Sound Heart. Uh, Tonight, I want to discuss with you the pertinent topic of the person of Jesus. That is, the, the necessity of Jesus as Savior of mankind. Look around you, and I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you take note of what is currently going on. And you see the work of men whom, oh, you and I will probably never meet or never see. We see the destruction that they have wrought throughout the earth. And you see that they want to increase the darkness, uh, this present darkness. uh, That is, they want to amplify the ruin of this present darkness, all to control uh, people, not to set them free, but to control people uh, to do their bidding. And we know that ultimately these wicked men uh, answer to the devil. They answer to uh, him as their master. And so, but believers, on the other hand, do not answer to finite authority. Satan is the, or the devil is the final finite authority over evil men. Now, we know from the word of God that in the last days, there will be a global, a multinational, a transnational uh, fascist superstate based on both communistic and, so- and socialist doctrines. And mind you, even though we say we talk about economic Babylon in the book of Revelation, and we talk about religious Babylon in the book of Revelation. There are, they are one entity. They, uh, they, there is the religio-political Babylon. And, but uh, the political Babylon will defeat religious Babylon according to the word of God. And there will be one supernatural personage over this global kingdom, and he is called the Antichrist. Now notice, the Bible purposely uses the name Antichrist. 
is the one who stands against or opposes Christ. It is not a passive title. It is an active title because the devil is never passive in his uh, opposition to God and his plan. If you carefully study the word, you will know this, that the devil is actively engaged in human ruin. Read Genesis 3 and read about what happened to the antediluvian world and why God uh, collapsed that civilization through the great flood, which was not local, but global. And the evidence of that great event uh, appears throughout the world. But if you read Romans 1, Paul tells us that evil men, wicked men, hold down, that is, they suppress the knowledge of God. They suppress the works of God in order to blind and to control people. But I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 21. And in Matthew uh, chapter 21, the chief priests and the elders of the people uh, came unto Jesus as he was teaching. Note their entrance and, and note how they come to Jesus in their, uh, their arrogance and in their uh, pretentious positions. Note, notice how they come to him. Now this is Matthew 21, uh, verse 23, quote, And when he was come into the temple, uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. Now, note, as he was teaching. So they interrupt him. They are highly arrogant and discourteous to Jesus. So they interrupt his teaching and they say, quote, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? You see, in their mind, if Jesus is teaching outside of their purview, that is, Jesus was not, give, uh, was not granted permission by the ecclesiastical authority to teach. Jesus was not a rabbi. And so he stood outside of their system. And so they arrogantly, uh, they speak to him in a very arrogant manner. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, he did not capitulate to their demand. He imposes his demand upon them. Now, this is in front of the people. They are witnessing this contest. This is a contest. So Jesus says in verse 25, 
The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Now, if you notice that when Jesus poses questions to the, because these men, these teachers, uh, these uh, the ecclesiastical authority are, uh, are scholars, and they are very learned in the Talmud and in rabbinics. They know their teaching. And so when he poses questions to them, notice, notice how they react to his uh, question. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did you not then believe him? Now, they are astute and they are cunning. They know who he is. But if we shall say of men, we fear the people for all hold John as a prophet. So here's their conundrum. What do they do? And they answered Jesus and said to, and said, so they lie. So they say, we cannot tell. So here's the essence of their character. They, they are liars. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So he knows them. He knows their essential character. He knows who they are. He knows the way they have dealt historically with the people. After all, he is the light. He and uh, he is the wisdom of God before men. Then it goes on in verse twenty. Verse twenty. Excuse me. Verse twenty-eight. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, "Son, go to work today in my vineyard." And he answered and said, "I will not." But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Interesting. Whether of the, uh, of the twain, of the two, did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans, that is the tax collectors of that day, and the harlots, Go into the kingdom of God before you. Notice the language of Jesus. <clears throat> he does not retreat. He does not bow before their authority. He does not beg or ask their permission to teach. He is the revelation of God. He is uh, at the boundaries of what they believe he should say. He is the incarnation of God. He is the truth. For John came unto you, and so, so Jesus drives home this point about them rejecting his forerunner, John the Baptist. A forerunner uh, heralds the coming of the king. And John, being the forerunner of the king, told them what? Told them about the person of Jesus. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, 
and you believed him not. Now, please understand that their rejection of John and his message was not visceral. It was a it was a decision on their part. It was <clears throat> it was a volition, a, a volitional act on their part. They decided not to believe the word. The word, because they heard the word and they rejected the word, it does not belie or absolve them of culpability. They are still to this day, as I speak to you, culpable and responsible before God for their impertinent rejection of the truth. They condemn themselves by their negative uh, response to the Word of God. So they uh, and so, but uh, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him, and you, when you have seen it, repented not after. So. They saw what the word of God had done in the lives of the unwanted and the despised. They hated the publicans who, oh, most of the time, they, they were Jews who worked for the Roman government to collect taxes from their uh, abusive uh, taxes from their own people. And the harlots, and uh, you, if you read in the Gospel of John, you know uh, certain, th- certain things about these religious uh, leaders, and they are not as familiar with harlots. And they spend time, and they spend time with with the harlots. So they these people believed John, and they repented of their sin. And you, when you have seen it, repented not afterward. That you might believe it. So, look at look. They rejected the word directly to them, and they rejected the evidence before their eyes. They saw the what the word of God had done in the lives of these individuals. Here, uh, verse thirty-three. Here, another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged. It round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to, to farmers and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the uh, farmers that they received the fruits of it. And the farmer took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent uh, unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the farmers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those farmers? They say unto him, 
he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other farmers, which shall render him the fruit in their season. Jesus saith unto them, now, so the same, the, what, the chief priests and these scholars and these teachers, so Jesus in verse 42 says, uh, saith unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. See, in ancient building uh, technology, uh, everything about the building uh, rested on the cornerstone. Without a cornerstone or essential stone, then the building uh, would collapse. So that's the significance of the cornerstone. So, uh, so the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. And I, I love reciting this to myself. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So here in this parable, you see the cycle of rebellion and rejection, the cycle of rebellion and rejection on the part of the people of God, on the part of Israel. Read the Old Testament and read why the northern kingdom uh, went into captivity and read about the southern kingdom and why it went into captivity. So verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude. They took him for a prophet. Notice. Notice the, uh, notice the power differential at work. And Jesus spoke to them in a manner that they could understand. He spoke directly to them about who he is, who he was, and their rejection of him. Now, so I'm in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. So this is Acts 4.1. And as they spake unto the people, and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people, that is speaking of the apostles, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, the same people, uh, who, who confronted Jesus in, in the Gospel of Matthew and put them in hold until the next day, for it was not even time. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000, and it came to pass on the morrow, on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and uh, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power 
or by what name have you done this? Now you see why I read from Matthew's Gospel. I want you to see uh, the uh, just the recurrent theme. I want you to see this this blueprint. I want you to see how civil authorities, how political authorities, how religious political authorities view the Word of God. The Word of God uh, presents a militant message. Uh, within uh, the cosmic system. These people don't want that message. It is a message of freedom. It is a message of salvation. You see uh, that um, ultimately uh, what they did to the Lord Jesus. And they actually believe that through crucifying him, that was it. But that was only the beginning. They're worse. And uh, they... uh, they had childlike glee uh, in front of the cross. They danced before the cross and a childlike delight because in their minds, they believed that they had sealed the fate of their enemy, Jesus. He did nothing to harm them, but he spoke the truth. He told them the truth. They rejected the truth. They had made a covenant with darkness. They had made a covenant with lies. They loved lies. They loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So now... Again, uh, they have the apostles in their midst. Verse 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Do you see the antithesis here? Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, or out from among the dead, even by him... Doth this man stand here before you whole? This is the message of the gospel. Salvation uh, means, it does mean rescue from ruin, but it also means uh, the, it also means wholeness, completeness. And so, this infinite man is infinite no more. That, uh, that moniker, uh, that title uh, is gone. He is a, now a new creature in Christ. This is what salvation is. It is a message of wholeness. The devil doesn't want that message to get out. So what does the devil do? Well, he creates a 
uh, a, a, a sort of uh, individual who believes that he or she can walk in the flesh and then name the name of Christ. And that is a type of uh, schizophrenic uh, display, and uh, it is not real. Uh, Paul wrote in Galatians 1 that if he would please men, that he cannot be the servant of God. There is that radical element about the word. The, and John, James said that if, you, if you're friends with the world, then you are the enemy of God. One has to choose. There is no either or. Uh, there is either or. There is no both and in the word of God. You cannot find that precipitous language in the word. It's not there. Verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Do you see the continuity here, the unbroken continuity between what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew? And now Peter is repeating the same language. So notice what has happened here. They've these religious rulers have brought Peter uh, and the other apostles before them for a, a, a trial, as it were. But then Peter takes this opportunity and he turns the table on them. Now they are on trial. And why is that? Well, Peter confronts them with the truth, the evidence of what they have done. And they are accountable to God. Look, what they have done does not fade with time. Yes, there have been centuries upon centuries upon centuries uh, have passed. Uh, but their guilt, their lies, their threats, their intimidation, uh, their cunning and deceitful depravity in what they did does not fade with time. The, their criminal actions toward the truth uh, and toward the person of Jesus will never fade. So, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. So there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, the language is that, uh, that Peter uses, the language is devastating to these tyrants, to their power, to their, uh, their authority. Uh, there is salvation and none other. So Peter uh, has, a, a, has a witness, uh, this fearless witness against this destructive system, whereby we must be saved. That is, it is necessary in the nature of the case. We must be saved. We can only be saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Period. There is no relativistic uh, understanding like, well, that's your truth. Uh, that is perversity of speech. 
And what is the source of that perversity of speech? That perversity of speech uh, is sourced to individuals who do not know themselves because they have never been real with themselves. If they would try to tell their story, their, their narrative would only be a lie. And they could not even tell the story about themselves with accuracy because it would be all lies based upon what? Fading memory, dusted with self-righteousness and hypocrisy. And do, and do you think that that kind of, 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 of fraudulent self-awareness will stand before God? Eternal truth? The effulgence or the outshining, the, the flashing forth of eternal glory? I don't think so. It will never happen. So verse 13, and I love this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and remember, uh, Peter uh, was a writer of the New, uh, of New Testament documents, and so was John. Well, now when he saw the bold, in my last message, I spoke to you from the book of Hebrews about boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Now, why were they considered unlearned unlearned and ignorant, because they didn't know rabbinics. And Jesus purposely, in his tutelage and his discipleship of these men, he did not uh, recite to these men the teachings of the rabbis of that day, because uh, much of it was intellectual sophistry. It was, it was nothingness. And Jesus didn't want their hearts and their spirit filled with this stuff. And so it, was, it is useless. Uh, the knowledge of man, what they accumulate, is useless in the kingdom of God. See, Isaiah writes that during the kingdom, there will be Bible study. We will not study the writings of man, of theologians, uh, of preachers. We will study the word of God because the word of God is alive. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, because it is God's word. Let me tell you today, uh, to jettison what people say, look around you, and you see the tightening grip. Do you feel the tightening grip over your life? Do you feel the grip, the tightening grip around your throat, around your very existence? My daughter brought a, a tiny uh, bucket of fruit, mixed fruit, to work the other, day, the other day, and I looked at the price. This tiny bowl of fruit, it was $6 plus for that small amount of fruit. I'm going to have a lot of information 
on preparedness coming to you here very soon. Now, so uh, when they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. And what was that knowledge? That they had been with Jesus. They knew these men stood outside of their system, but they detected their boldness. They had seen that boldness before in the person of Jesus. So they knew that these men were his disciples, not theirs. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now, you read John 11. You read about uh, the, the death of Lazarus, and you read about the resuscitation of Lazarus. Lazarus was brought, brought back by Jesus, and, it, and uh, that event uh, made the people go more toward Jesus, and that was a threatening uh, miracle to the power of the religious leaders. And it's at that point that they came together. We have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Herodians. Notice the number three. They came together to make a plan to put Jesus to death. So they said, verse 16, uh, we, we can't deny what has been done. But notice what their plan is in verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people because this man that had been healed had been this way since birth. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. There's no free speech. And there was no First Amendment in the first century for these people. They're going to threaten them. And they called them and commanded them that they speak not at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Look, throughout church history, up until this very day, uh, teaching the truth has a price. And Jesus knows this. And so he tells those who would, uh, Jesus' words are what? That if you come after me, take up the cross and follow me. And notice his language. He tells the truth. Take up the cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up? The language is very powerful and the language is very telling. Take up the cross. What did the cross mean in that day? Well, it meant that one uh, was condemned as a criminal and uh, this uh, 
form of execution was preserved for Jews, Roman citizens who committed capital offenses and were convicted of capital crimes were decapitated with the sword. For instance, the Apostle Paul. Now, so notice what what they understood. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you, uh, to, har- to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. Now notice. Notice this this thing, this pond, uh, because of the people, because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was uh, bestowed. So uh, they let them go, and they went to their own company, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, that is, these other believers, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein is, by whom, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Psalm 2. And the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For of, of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now notice, notice uh, that these people knew Bible doctrine. They knew the word. Notice what they said about this. After they prayed God and they prayed for courage, look, look at what they say. For, uh, verse 20, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They knew that God was in charge. They knew that these people could do nothing outside, it could do nothing to them outside of the permissive will of God. There is the determined will of God, permissive will of God. So God directed and, and God led these men, Peter and John, through this very dangerous court proceeding. God protected them from these evil men. Notice their courage. Notice their bravery. Uh, Martin Luther said, here I stand for I can do no other. God help me. And so when we are called before these people and we have to stand before them, I have had to such situations and I will sit and pray before I have to go and speak. I would say, Lord, uh, 
make these people see uh, that is turn their their wisdom to foolishness before these people. Let these people hear and see their lies as to why these people have come against us in this manner. And of a surety, I tell you, uh, God is on the throne and God is good. When your witness is on high and your faithfulness is on high and your relationship and your fellowship with God is is powerful, you study the word and uh, you hide the word in your heart so that you might not sin against God, God is going to watch over you. God is going to protect you. God is going to look over you. Look, you belong to him. And so he's going to protect you. And so verse 29, they say, And now, Lord, behold their threatening, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, for they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with what? With boldness, with boldness. When we go down to verse 33, we read that great grace was upon them all, that the, uh, uh, the great power uh, had been given by the Holy Spirit to the apostles to witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look, you're going to face tough things. You're going to be in in tough situations as a believer. And you know and I know that when tough things come, what do we do? Or we understand hopomony. We are we we dwell under that situation. It doesn't mean we're inactive. It doesn't mean uh, that that we are filled with with uh, passivity. It means we remain under until God is through teaching us what He wants us to understand about His character and His kingdom. God will give us the courage through hupomni, that is, to remain under that burden, to remain under that situation until He is ready to remove it, and then we will see. Another grace awakening, another grace event uh, of, of what God can do. And what do we do? We rejoice. We see his power at work because we know the door opening God. And we know the God who closes doors and he will not allow them to be open so that the enemy cannot come against us and reopen doors that, uh, through divine power that have been closed. And God, if you walk by faith and not by sight, he will continue to open doors of grace and mercy and peace and prosperity for you if you believe him. And note, we don't carry God. He carries us. He carries us through his grace. We have been graced out, and we stand in grace. And God has given us the power, as Paul writes, to reign in life as kings. We are to reign in life through Christ Jesus. 
We are not of this world. We are out of this world system. We are to reign in life as kings through the king of kings. That is our heritage. That is our legacy. That is what God has done for us. That is a part of our salvation package, as it were. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Good evening, and God bless you.